Turn with me in your Bibles today to John chapter 14, verse 6, if you will. John chapter 14, verse 6. And a title of this morning's message, uh, we're in our Love Sums It series. Uh, and this is kind of part five, and we're kind of going through this. Uh, understanding that Jesus, before he uh, died, the night that he was betrayed, he, he washed his disciples' feet and he gave them a new command. And he added to uh, where he had told them before, love your neighbor as yourself. Now he tells them, now love your neighbor as I have loved you and I have loved them. And, and it takes it to this whole other dimension because sometimes we don't love ourselves really well. And so I may not love my neighbor just great because I don't love myself. But he says, now love them as I love them. And he, he does this uh, over the course of this one evening. He repeatedly tells them things like this. A new commandment, or I command you, and to love. And over and over again, he is challenging them to love and obey him. Love God, love your neighbor as God loves them, and obey God. You can't separate love and obedience. And he's really hammering that home. And over that course of that night, he said it some eight times to love and obey. Uh, And we're kind of looking at that over the last couple of weeks. And as we love and obey there are spiritual mathematics that happen. There are spiritual principles that come into place. And if you go back on, our, on online sermons, you'll see uh, we're on our fifth one. But there are blessings of God that come when we begin to love and obey. And today we're going to look at uh, the works of Jesus. We love and obey. The works of Jesus are produced in us. But let me ask you a question this morning as we get into this uh, you ever felt alone or powerless as a Christian? You know, you look at this world today and, you know, you could go through hard times and sometimes you go through hard times and struggles and tribulations in your life, trials and circumstances, and you feel like, man, I don't think I got what it takes to get through this or, uh, God, where are you? I feel very lonely. Uh, God, where are you? Are you here? Or you look at the world today and you say, man, God, I think the church is kind of losing like if I see the economy, I see uh, the religious status in America, I see the persecution worldwide, it feels like, God, are, you know, no one's seen the power of God in revival, like mass revival across the country. And, and many people in the new generations that are coming up, they don't understand the power of God or the presence of God. And, and they, they don't even know what they're talking about most of the time when they talk about Jesus. They just think he's some guy. And you, you look at this disconnect in our country today and you feel like, man, God, are, are we really the church Uh, you've called us to be. What if you could actually meet Jesus like the disciples did? Like what if Jesus could show up tonight in your your bedroom or or whatever? One, we'd probably freak out, right? But if he could just be there with you for just like an hour, right? What would you talk about? What would you ask? Be like, you know, God, where's dinosaurs come from in the Bible? You know, that's some of the questions I would throw out there. Like, where's this, you know? Uh, but, you know, there's deep things, though, that we might ask, God, why did you make me? Or, God, uh, how can I be this way? Or, God, how can I be like that? Or, or God, how am I going to get through? What's the end look like? You know, we've got all kinds of questions. God, what's heaven look like? Or, but what would you talk with Jesus about if he showed up for an hour tonight with you? And I think I was thinking about that and, and what Jesus is telling us here in this passage. How do we, we know Jesus doesn't physically manifest himself often to most of us, right? But how do we walk with Jesus even though we don't see him? How do you have that intimate fellowship with him? And how do you experience the presence of God in your daily life? That's a very important question if we want to make it through the days ahead. 
How do you experience the presence of God in your lonely times? How do you experience the presence of God in your powerless times? Let's look at this tonight because Jesus is telling his disciples that, hey, I'm about to leave you guys uh, and I'm going to go away. Uh, But then he's going to tell them something. Let's look at this. John chapter 14, verse 6. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him. Look to your neighbor and say, I know him. Oh, that was weak. Let's say, I know him. How many people know Jesus? All right, this morning. From now on, you know him. We're going to look at that word in a minute. And have seen him. And so Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Or your one translation says, we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Note that right there, the word abiding. The Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me and otherwise believe because of the works of themselves. For truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do. Because I go to the Father. Now, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's that obey part again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He just throws that in there. He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not see him nor know him. Get that. Because, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And that's also key. Because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I am in the Father. The Father abides in me and I abide in him. And I know the Father. And you should know the Father because you know me. And he says, but you now know the Holy Spirit who's now with you but will be in you because He abides in you. Jesus is pulling out something here. We're going to really dig into this this morning, a little bit more intensive maybe than we always do, because I'll have, you have to get the play on words. Jesus is specifically using a specific set of words that we must understand today, because there's a powerful spiritual principle here that you have to understand before you leave this place, is that Jesus abided in the Father, and He wants to abide in you. Okay? Now look, let's look at this for a moment. Do you really know Jesus? He says, Philip, how do you not know me? Do you really know Jesus? Are you abiding in him? Do you have his power in you that enables you to do great and mighty works through him? And do you really love and obey him? Let's look at this first part about knowing and abiding. We're looking at this this first part is knowing and abiding. Let's look at verse 8. Philip says to him, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long, and you don't know me, Philip? There's a difference between being with Jesus 
and being in Jesus. There's a difference between being just, uh, I, I see him, I see what he's saying, I see what he's doing, and I understand it, I know it. I think about this, Philip was with him for three years. And Jesus is surprised, he's like, hey, you don't, you don't get it yet. What's going on here? And, and it looks to me, I think about this, I think, man, how can Philip, how can he say that? Philip, you don't know me, but yet you've been with me for three years. You know what that means? I can take from that is that that means we can be in church for many years. You can be in a good, vibrant, healthy church and still not really know Jesus. You can see the things that he said when the pastor speaks it. You can even read the Bible. You can worship God and sing some songs to him. You can see miracles. You can see Jesus walk on water and still not really, really know him. That's a scary thing, church. That we could come into this place week after week. There could be a person in this room today that has come to this church for the last 13 years that it's been open and really just still not know Jesus. There's something different about being with Him and being in Him. That there's got to be this, this uh, change in our lives. Now let's look at this a little deeper. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. Jesus gives probably one of the scariest verses I think He's ever given. And it says that there will be those... Uh, He says that you'll know a good tree by its fruit. He uses the word know. You'll know a good tree by its fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father. Remember, he says love and obey. He who does the will of the Father. He says, you know, he goes on, he says, you can prophesy, you can cast out demons, you can perform miracles, and he can still say what? I never knew you. New. There's an interesting word there. He's saying, do you know me, Philip? How did you not know me? And he says, there's going to be some that gets to heaven and they're going to do miracles. They're going to see things. They're going to worship me. They're going to be even preachers. They're even going to be preachers in heaven who I say to them, yeah, you were with me, but I don't know you. Yeah, Philip, you've been following me, but Philip, you don't know me. Uh, What is it about this knowledge thing? You know, in uh, the book of John... I think it's 141 times he uses the word no. And it means four different things. I'm going to break it out. I think we have another slide. Four different uh, levels of knowledge here. Four different ways to know Jesus. And number one is facts. Someone can look at the Bible and just know the facts of it. You know, I studied the Bible. I could tell you facts and facts and facts about the Bible and its history. My when I went to school and I uh, went to uh, the undergrad, uh, my undergrad, a lot of it was in uh, religious studies and and all those professors, many of them didn't even know God. They didn't have a relationship with him, but they knew more of the Bible than any pastor I've ever met. You can know all of the facts about who Jesus is, what pastors say he is, what the church says he is, what the billboards say they are, what the Christian radio says that he is and still not really know him. because That's just facts. The second part is understanding That's knowing the truth behind the facts. Well, I understand the Bible says he's the son of God. I kind of get that conceptually. I get that there's a heaven, there's a hell. And maybe that's true and it probably is. And and I understand, you know, that he had to die on the cross. I understand that he had to have blood that was shed for sin. I get that. But you can still get it and not know him. You can still get all of that and still not know him. And the third one is relationship. Relationship is, is to know a person and believe in them uh, and, and become related to them. And these last two are the ones he uses often in the book of John. 
relationship. This goes to knowing someone like when Adam knew Eve, there was a, an intimate relationship. There was a physical relationship where they knew each other. Uh, there was an emotional relationship and an emotional relationship. And that's where I know I know my family. I really know my cousins because we grew up together. I've had to spend time with them. I get their personality. I get what they like. I get what they dislike. But you know what? I can understand that God hates sin. I can understand that God's perfect way to holiness is through the Holy Spirit and its power and removing things from my life. I can have a re- uh, this relationship on a surface level. I know a lot of people on Facebook and they are my friend, says the world, but I don't really know them, right? Uh, and the last one is this fourth one. It's deep communion. And that's the word he's using here in this text. It's a deep place where I really know him. Like me and him, we're like this. We're like one. What he's thinking, I'm thinking. What, what uh, I'm thinking, he knows. And, and uh, John is moving us to this place. And Paul kind of illustrates this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 where he talks about that I may know him. In the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that if anything, I might attain the resurrection of that. Like he's like, God, I can't all things as rubbish for the sake of knowing you. That's that knowledge that he's talking about here. He's like, Philip, you've been with me, but you haven't really known me. Man, that's a sad thing. Church, that's a sad thing that you could come into this place week after week. You could go to church after church after church. You could live this life your whole, you could be 50 years old and have born and raised in the church and still not know him. Because there's something deeper God wants you to know today is that He wants to abide in you. He wants to be not just with you, He wants to be in you. And Jesus says, hey guys, I can't even understand. You should have saw the Father in me because one, I've been abiding in the Father. You see, He couldn't even comprehend because He said, Philip, if you see me, you should see God because me and Him are one. Man, in your life today, when people look at you, do they see Jesus in you? He couldn't, Jesus couldn't even understand, Philip, how come you're not seeing God through me? You're not recognizing it. And I look at us today and I'm like, God, in my life, am I abiding in you? Do I know you and I'm one with you? That God, when people look at me, they see Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, I want to be in you. I want to abide with you. I'm abiding with the Father. You see the Father working through my life, speaking the words. I don't speak anything of my own initiative. I don't do anything of my own initiative. I'm abiding in the Father. He says, Philip, you've got to know me. I want to abide in you. But what did Philip say? Let's look at that. What did Philip say? He's kind of the pragmatic one. He's practical. He's the one that when the loaves and fishes scenario, Jesus comes and he says, hey, how are we going to feed these people? Let's, let, what, what do you have? And Philip's kind of like, well... Well, it only takes this amount of, they need to go back to the store because we only got this amount of fish. Here's the, here's what the, here's what we got. Here's what we don't have. He's kind of the realistic one, right? He says, what does he say? He says, show us the father and it's enough for us. Show us the father will be satisfied. So many people today want to tell Jesus what's enough. God, if you just do this in my life, that'll be enough. Thanks. God, if you... Uh, this is the level, God, that I want to go with you. That's enough. God, I, I, I want to... Uh, I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll tithe. I'll attend church. And that's enough. I'm a good Christian. Right? Uh, and Philip's the same way. He's like, God, if you just show us the Father, that's enough for us. That'll define it for me. And so many people want to define their Christianity. 
But I'm going to tell you, church, it's not a definition, it's not a boundary, it's not a, a box that we stand in. It's a relationship. It's abiding in Him. And he, he says, oh, just show me the Father, it's enough. We could look at the Christian church, they say, here's the rules, here's the doctrines, here's the steps, here's the levels, here's the lines. We could say, God, all right, I do enough, pastor, I do enough. Uh, brother or sister, it's enough. I pay my tithes, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray. Some might even say, I speak in tongues. That's enough. Is it? Is it really? Since when did we define our journey of faith with Jesus? When did we tell Him, well, God, this is what Christianity looks like. This is what American Christianity looks like, God. We go to church. We, we go eat potluck afterwards. We pray. We, we vote Republican or whatever voting you like to do. We raise the American flag. We hold true to our Bibles. We, we stand by the Constitution. We, we hold to our rights. And when did we define what Christianity is supposed to look like? Because if I look at the Bible, I see this radical group of people who are going to forsake all just to know Jesus. It's all about Him. It wasn't about a religion. It wasn't about a do's and don'ts. It wasn't about a box to be a part of or a badge or a church membership or holding a letter at what church, which is popular in this area, right? I don't care what letter you have. Do you know Jesus? Are you abiding in Him? Are you, are you knowing Him to the depths of your soul? Because there's no limits on this journey of faith, church. It's, we are called to abandoned and abiding faith. And you and I are not the ones that tell Jesus what's enough. I don't say, God, I'm doing enough, God. I'm a good Christian boy. I'm a good Christian girl. God, I'm, I'm doing okay. Everything's cool right now, God. I, if, you know, don't mess anything up. It's all right. I feel like I'm good with you. You're good with me. I'm not this vile sinner out in the world, gambling and drinking and going to all these, all these places. And he's like, you sure that's enough? I don't think you know me. Hmm. I don't think you really know me. You think you know me. You've been with me. You see me. You hear me. You've heard other people talk about me. You've seen pastors preach about me. You've seen people worship me. You've even gone to Sunday school, but you still don't know me. To know Him is to abide in Him. It means to get to that place where you say, Jesus, I believe in You. Become in me. I realize that You're my everything. I need nothing more and nothing less than Jesus. I don't need that house, that boat. I don't need that vacation. I don't need anything. Those are not bad things. But I don't need them more than I need Jesus. I don't need things less than Jesus. I don't need things more than Jesus. It's just simply Jesus. I just need Him. He's all that I need. He's my focus, my everything. And I think like Philip, so many Christians today, uh, they, they, he, Philip left his family. He walked three years. He heard his teaching personally. He saw mighty miracles. And he still did not have a proper revelation of Jesus. How much more today do we need to get this lesson? Because I don't know about you, I've never seen Jesus walk on water. I've never seen personally Jesus, Him physically in the body, speak to me and raise the dead and, and open blind. I wasn't there. How much more? What was the key? He says, I'm sending you someone. I'm sending you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who's going to be with you and then in you and you'll know me. How much more today, church, do you and I need to have the Holy Spirit? It's not a Pentecostal thing versus a Baptist thing. It's not a Methodist thing versus a Lutheran. It's just simply know Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in you. You want to define where your denominational stance is? I don't care. Do you know Jesus? 
Do you have the Holy Spirit living in, in you? I don't care if you speak in tongues, get slain in the Spirit every week. Do you know Jesus? Philip did not yet have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 16. He says, He's going to be with you and in you. He says, verse 16, I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. It doesn't see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. And skip down to verse 20. He says, At that day you will know that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. He says, you've got to have the Holy Spirit abiding in you to really know me. He says, in that day when you receive the Holy Spirit in your heart, into the depths of your soul, and you push everything else inside, say, God, I don't need anything else more than I need you, God. I need the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. What does abide mean? It means to remain, to continue, to follow, to obey, to be steadfast in. That, God, I'm willing to follow and obey you at all costs, to remain in you and to persevere in you. And I'm going to get that Holy Spirit so deep into my heart, God. And he says, when you get to that place, when the Holy Spirit comes in, he says, then you'll know me and I'll know you and you'll know me and the Father will know you and you'll know the Father. It'll be this oneness that comes into you. Are we abiding in Jesus? It's better than uh, the disciples when they walked with Him. It's better than the Old Testament prophets because today He says the Comforter has come. The Holy Spirit has been sent. He says you, have, you can abide in Me. There's a word He talked about briefly. He, he told him, He says, hey, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You know, and sometimes we... There was a, a time in, in our walk with God in, in, in the, I don't know, the 50s and the 40s, man, when things were bad... People really focused, and there was a lot of worship songs written on heaven. Anybody grew up? We sang a lot on heaven when I was little. Not so much anymore for whatever reason, but that's just the way it is. There's a lot of songs, older songs written on heaven, and we always used to be looking upward. And Jesus says uh, in that verse in John 14, he talks about, uh, in my Father's house there are many, King James says, mansions. Well, that word in the Greek actually means dwelling places. It's not about a mansion. And if you really look at it, it means abode. He says this. He says, I'm leaving you to create a place where you can abide with me. And he says, but until then, I'm sending the Comforter who will abide in you, with you and in you. You see, Jesus is all about abiding. He says, I'm going to create an abiding place, an abode for you. And then I'm coming back, or while I'm gone, I want to keep abiding with you. What kind of a God wants to just spend time with us like that? who's willing to sacrifice Saul, and even when he leaves to go create an abiding, an abode, he says, guys, I want to know you. I want to be with you, but I really want to be in you. I want to be abiding with you. And last week we talked about the vine in John 15, one chapter over. And he says, you can't do anything apart from me. And I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I want to be in you. I want you to be abiding in the vine. I want you to be all about me. Be, let me be the source of your life. Let me be your, your, where you get all your happiness from, where you get all your joy from, where you get all your peace and patience and, and your power from. And we did not save ourselves, but we were saved when the Holy Spirit came and started abiding in us. That's, that's that beginning moment. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in you. The Holy Spirit's everywhere right now. But when you say, God... I give up my life. You're my Lord. You're my master. I give up authority over my life. The Holy Spirit begins to abide in you. 
In that moment, he says, you can really know God then. You can't really know God that way until you give all that up. And he comes in. One of the things I think we do here in America so very wrong is we get saved by the Holy Spirit coming in us. We get this revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is and we you know, change. We get all fire for God. But then a few years later, what happens? We kind of start doing it on our own. We rely on the church. We rely on the pastor. We rely on uh, our, our routine to keep us saved. And this happened in Galatians. And he says, Jesus is saying, I need you to abide in you. That's continue to remain, to be reliant on me. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says to his church, because they had gotten saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, man, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came over them. They were manifestations of the Spirit. And then they started going back to the, the laws and the Jewish laws to, to say, God, oh, this, I need to live a holier life. I need some rules in my life to live holy. I need to put some boundaries in place. And he tells them, he says, hey, foolish Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Meaning this, you are saved because the Holy Spirit began abiding in you and it's a life of faith in Christ and, and walking in faith. And, and just like Philip, God, this is enough. This is the boundaries. This is the rules. This is the limitations, God. This is what a Christian bubble and box looks like. And he says, you're foolish, because you're supposed to be living daily by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You want rules to keep you saved? It doesn't work that way. You want a box of churchiness to stand in? It doesn't work that way. You want to say, well, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't cuss, you don't da 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 da, -da fish on Sundays, all this stuff. No, he's saying, you, when faith comes in your life and the presence of the Holy Spirit, it leads us to a place of maturity. You know, anybody can follow some rules. That's, that's childish. That's immaturity to say, God, here's the do's and don'ts. But when you want to grow up in maturity to the Holy Spirit, you say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying today? Holy Spirit, where do we go today? Holy Spirit, what pleases you today? And I live by faith. God, are you telling me to sell everything and give to the poor? You know what? He told the disciples too. How do I think that? Does, oh, that just happens in the Bible. That, this is normal Christianity today in this little cozy box. This is where it is. This is the safe zone, Right? This isn't Top Gun. God calls you to the danger zone. You remember that old 80s song, right? It's like, it takes so much more responsibility to listen to the Holy Spirit. So much more reliance on God instead of self and man-made rules and religion. And that's where Jesus is calling you and I to today. This living relationship where we have a powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. You want to know why the church is on the losing side today in much of America? It's because we don't have the powerful presence of God and believers outside of these walls. It's because we're not relying on the Spirit by faith. We just want a good, comfortable place of man-made rules to say, that's enough, God, we're doing okay. But it comes to a point, church, where we got to grow up into maturity and say, God, I need your spirit today more now than ever. Holy Spirit, I don't have a, a program of Christianity on how the ABCs of Christianity works. I just need to get in your word and get in your presence and say, God, what do I do? I need you. I just need you, Jesus. It's all about you. And look, look at this again. A Christian life is one that starts, that is maintained and ends on the dependence of the spirit of God. One author says, it's not about rules of religion. It's about dependence on the activity of God's spirit. We should look the strongest proof of the Christian life. One author says is the presence of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus looks at Philip, he says, Philip, how have you not known me? It's because Philip did not recognize the presence of God in his life in Jesus's life. He didn't have the presence within to see it. The Bible says the world will not see and understand the Holy Spirit, but you'll see and know him because he's in you abiding in you. 
Do people around you notice the presence of God in your life? Not about how Christian you are. Not about what church you go to. Not about how much you don't cuss anymore or don't drink anymore or don't do the things of the world. And you say, well, I don't do those things, guys. And that's good. That's good. Those are not bad things. But is it because the presence of God is exuding from us that Jesus is just producing naturally good fruit out of us? That the power of the Holy Spirit is just coming out of us? You cannot have the personality and power of Jesus without the Holy Spirit living within you. And I'm not saying this as a Pentecostal and I'm not saying this as a Baptist. I'm just saying you need the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. The end. Let's not put rules and regulations on it. Let's not put doctrine on it. He just says, abide in me and my spirit. Be with me, be in me. Let me figure out the rest. Stop trying to define me. I want to just be in you and all about you and you need to be all about me. Let's start. We're trying to box him in. Here's what he can do. Here's what he can't do. God, help us to be a people who are living in radical faith, reliant on the Holy Spirit. We can't be Christians because we were born by the Spirit and then try to be saved by simply following religion. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit saved you. Jesus saved you when the Holy Spirit came in you. And every day must be reliance on the Spirit. Not your church membership. Not the do's and don'ts. But a personal, deep, communing relationship with the presence of God who is activated in your life. It's not knowing just the gospel message itself that saves. Many people know the gospel message and still are not saved. It's not just knowing it. We could quote it. We could memorize it, but it's faith in that message that calls me to a radical place of reliance on God. Say, God, I really, really believe this, and I'm willing to sell all if that's what it takes to walk it out. I look sometimes in our lives, and I again go back to these disciples. Step one is I think we have to be able to get to a place to say, God, if you did tell me to give up my savings account today or my 401k, that I would have to get to that place in you and say, God, I'm, I'm really willing to do that. I would have to trust you enough. Because the disciples sold all. But you can get to that place and still not know God. You know what I mean? The disciples sold all and still didn't get it till the Holy Spirit came in. But I think we're still at step one. God, I don't know if I'm really that faith walking. I don't know if I'm really in the Spirit or believing you that much that, God, if you said leave all and sell all, I'd do it. But He did. I mean, he told people to do that. And we're like, oh, that was just them. No, I'm not saying he's telling you to do that now, but I need to be willing if he did to be in faith, reliance on the Spirit of God. But not just to live there, not just to live. We could live the most sacrificial, beneficial. We could sell all, give to the poor, and still not know Jesus until the Holy Spirit begins to abide in me. Last point, look at the, this believing and working. Verse uh, 12, chapter 14, verse 12. He says, truly I say to you, He who believes in me, that's that faith working through spirit right there. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these will he do because I go to the father. I think about our graduates here today going to go out of this world that if they believe in God, they're going to do great. I was a young adult pastor for years and was in college ministry. There is more potential in those senior graduates than almost all of us combined, I think, because they're at the beginning of what they can do for God. And they, they, the world, is there's no limits. 
right? So I pray over them that they would just be history makers for God. But he who believes in me, the works that I do, adults, those that are here today, you're going to do greater works because I go to the Father. In verse 4, chapter 15, verse 4, he says, Abide in me, I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless he abides in the vine. The Holy Spirit is the source of the church. And when he's invited in, there's going to be powerful manifestations of the Spirit of God. Scripture is evidence of that. A church with the presence of the Holy Spirit should be seeing the gifts of the Spirit, tongues, visions, miracles. That should be expected. But what are those gifts for? They are to glorify Christ and further His mission. He says, if you believe in me, you're going to do the continuation of what I've started on this earth. The word greater there, what does he mean? He says, greater things you'll you'll do. Greater there does not mean uh, bigger in uh, name or number or power. Like Jesus raised people from the dead. He walked on water. I don't see many of us doing that today. You know, praise God if he does, right? But what it means is that in the scope of the presence of God in the spirit, greater in number, greater in emphasis, greater in global reach. Jesus was one man. He had a limited uh, effect and just Palestine and Judea. So he goes and he says, now I'm going to send the presence of God to live not just with, but in every single person more than even the Old Testament prophets had. And it's going to be a global greater impact that the world has never seen that billions and billions of people are going to experience the presence of God. And there will be greater testimonies. Heavens will just the record of heaven will just explode wide open of all the stories of God's presence being manifested in people's lives. You look at Peter. Peter, at that day, when the presence of God came down, uh, 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That's the supernatural power. He didn't do that before. I think about Philip. Philip, who said, God, this is enough. When he got the presence of God in his life and the Holy Spirit, he, it wasn't about, okay, God, I'm changing from Baptist to Pentecostal. It wasn't about that. It was just saying, God, I just need you. I'm not defining it. I'm not putting a limit on it. I'm not writing a, a rule about it. I'm just getting all of you, right? Philip, when he got uh, filled with the Holy Spirit... He went from saying, well, God, just show us the Father. It's enough that his character and identity, he became known as a deacon. In the early church, he became one of the ones who were so interested in feeding the poor and the widows and the orphans that he, uh, he was known as a servant. That was his character. The fruit of the Holy Spirit came out of him. And then he got, became known as an evangelist. That was his, he was titled an evangelist. There are very few. We don't see that often in the, in, the, in the book of Acts. Philip became known as Philip the Evangelist. He was one of the first people to cross cultural and socioeconomic lines, uh, racial lines, sorry, to go to the Samaritans when the Jews hated them. And even when Peter didn't go, Philip went, went across the line, saw a massive revival break out in a people group that nobody else was willing to go to. And then he goes on, he goes and he lives in a place called Caesarea Philippi on the coast. And he raises a family. Now, he began to continue to do the mission of God and was later martyred. But his great legacy was that he raised up children, two daughters, who says they prophesied that they had the Spirit of God in them. What happens, church, when us, not just the young people, but the generations say, God, we are a people who have got to be about your Spirit. We're going to not just say this is enough. This is what church is about. This is as good as it gets. This is what I've always seen, what we've always done. This is churchianity in America. But God, we're going to a place of radical, deep communion with you where the Holy Spirit is not just with us in this room and sometimes affects us, but God, that's in me, abiding in me. And God, I'm at this radical place of faith, willing to sell all, but not just that. I'm in a deep place of communion 
So much so that it changes my identity and I get known for the fruits of my uh, labors in you. I get known for the power of God coming out of me. The God that's giving you glory. I'm all about furthering your mission. Your kingdom is all that matters. And at the end of the day, God, when I leave this place and I go to that final abode, that final place of abiding with you, that I leave a legacy that says, God, I've raised up a generation behind me who knows how to abide in the presence of God. I mean, the failure of the church today is really in our young adults and our teenagers not knowing a generation that says, God, we are willing to just abide in the presence of God. We're not in a hurry. We're not in a rush. We're not just doing it on Sunday mornings, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're teaching our children how to abide in the presence of God. That it's not just something I do or I've defined it in a certain set of boundaries that it turns it on when the Spirit of God moves in worship. But God, every day, God, I'm in deep communion with you. God, I'm weeping. You know, when I first got uh, filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and it started growing in my prayer life, I didn't understand that you could be moved into this oneness with God that uh, multiple times early on, uh, and even still today, God would move over me and I just begin to weep for the loss. And I look back and I'm like, God, I want to keep doing that. When's the last time we cried over the lost people that are dying and going to hell? Because God is. The Holy Spirit is, is longing for a people who would say, God, we're all about your presence. We're all about abiding with you, being one with you. And we're not care, caring about our identity. We're not caring about our kingdom or the things we're growing. But God, we know that you're going to create an abiding place for us in eternity. But God, we want to abide with you right now. Is that your prayer today? God, I want to abide with you right now. I don't need to just wait till heaven. God's presence is here, church. All you got to do is let him in. Every head closed, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come? How do you do that today, church? How do you get to that place in the Holy Spirit abiding in? First thing is, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We can't divorce having the Holy Spirit from simple obedience. Listen to me on that again. You cannot divorce having the Holy Spirit from simple obedience. It just comes to the point where we say, God, I, I got to love you and obey you. That's the first thing. That's the place of repentance. Say, God, I give up my life to follow you. I love you enough to trust you at your word and ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I give up lordship of my life. God, I give up authority over my life. God, I love you for what you've done for me. And love is a choice, and I have to choose to love others. That's the first step. If you love me, you'll obey me. And so, God, I've got to get to that first step. God, I, I've got to really love you for what you've done. I've got to be willing to give all things up and follow you at your word. And the second thing is, he says, just receive me. The Holy Spirit is a free gift. He comes in at salvation, but it doesn't end there, church. It's a daily walk. It's a daily walk. Some churches and denominations will talk about special events. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe in that. But you know what? It's not really about this specific moment. It's about a daily life where the Holy Spirit grows in you day by day by day, deeper and deeper and deeper. We don't set rules and boundaries and markers on it. We just say, God, I'm all about you. God, I just want to be in you. God, I just want to know you. God, I want to be about your kingdom mission. God, I want to serve you. God, I am so in love with you. 
I'd sell it all, Lord. I'm so in love with you, God, that I just get to be in your presence, that your works just come out of me, that I just can't help but testify about you, God. I just can't help but love and serve others, God. The fruit of your character, God, love, joy, peace, patience. Lord, I don't have to try to receive it. I just get abiding in you. It comes out of me. It's not a religious work. It's not quitting sin. It's not stopping things that are really going to make you have peace. Yes, that happens. But it happens first when you become to abide in Him. When you get to abide in Him, He'll tell you what to stop. He'll tell you how to go forward. He'll tell you how to have His character. And He'll put a conviction on your heart to be holier than you've ever been in your life. It'll be a heart holiness. Because He's abiding not just with you, but in you. Jesus. I'm just going to invite you right now in your own way, just to get the presence of God is here. And I'm not in a hurry. I want God to have full reign. There may be things going on this afternoon, maybe lunch waiting for you. But right now, do you love Jesus? Is He worth more than what happens in the next 30 minutes after this service is over? Is He worth just saying, God, I just want to be with you for real. I don't want this to be fake. I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to say it's just enough. You're here today and you've, you've told God, or you know, unconsciously you've just been saying, God, this is enough. I think I'm doing good. You're not in a pursuit of deeper communion. God is calling out to you today to know Him. Man, He wants to know you. God wants to know you. He made you. He formed you. He breathed life into you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. Don't settle for less, church. Don't settle for just getting by and getting to heaven. Because chances are you won't be making it in. We want to abide with Him here. Just like we're going to abide with Him there. Jesus. Holy God. Lord, I ask for your presence in this place today, God.